0: During one of his sermons in Atlanta, Georgia, Dr. Martin Luther King, Jr. said, Men always have worshipped, and men always will worship. There is the ever-present danger, however, that man will direct his worship drive into false channels. Hi, my name's Doug Hooley, and you're listening to the Called Out Cafe podcast. I'm so glad that you're taking the time to do so. This is episode number 18 in the series titled, Choose Your Jesus Wisely. This is the second to the last episode in this series, which has been based on my book, False Christian Gods, Choose Your Jesus Wisely. And that's available on Amazon.com. The topic today is what we, as followers of Jesus, are to do as we're faced with the problem of so many in the church today, worshiping false Christian gods, many of whom are deceptive, counterfeit versions of Jesus. If I'm sounding a little hoarse today or a little stuffy, it's because I'm just getting over the big C word, COVID. Angela, my beautiful wife, got it before I did, and although I'm getting over it, she's now dealing with a secondary infection, pneumonia. So I'm praying for her, I hope you will too, and uh, I'll do the best I can today. Anyway, I love the simple part the authentic child of God is to play in fixing the problem. As you heard early on in this series, I call it being biblically watchful. Biblical watchfulness, at least the way that I think of it, consists of three parts. First, having knowledge and understanding of the scriptures. Secondly, it means to stay alert and on guard and aware of the world around us. You know, pay attention to what's going on in the world, especially Israel. And this is especially true today. You know, it's, it's increasingly true as the Lord's return grows nearer one day at a time. Third, abiding in Jesus while we're waiting on him to show up and reacting appropriately to what it is that's going on around us. In light of scripture, so important to consider what's going on in light of scripture and the reality that we live in, not just a world that we can see, but in a world where there are powers and principalities and authorities in heavenly places. Well, the three parts of being biblical watchful are not necessarily sequential, and they are all ongoing. How does being biblically watchful apply to the issues raised in this podcast series? Well, it'll never play out exactly the same for two different authentic children of God. I'm not suggesting that any of what I'm going to talk about here is a formula, but rather they're general principles that might be helpful. Well, it's my hope that this series has aided you in becoming aware of some of the serious issues facing the Ecclesia today, the church. As in the rest of our physical life, moving into a state of awareness can be the difference between life and death. But what is it that you'll now do that you're conscious and aware of these issues, you know, about all the false Jesuses and gods that exist in the church today? What does your knowledge of the truth and belief in the authentic Jesus of the Bible tell you that you need to do with your awareness? I think we need to decide what we want. A friend of mine named Logan has a problem-solving formula that he refers to often. When trying to decide what to do next in life, Logan said one needs to decide what it is they really want. Well chances are you don't know Logan, and you have no reason to follow his advice. But I think there's a wisdom in what he says about this and I wanted to give him credit for saying it. But Logan isn't the only one who gives this sage decision-making advice. In Psychology Today, there's an article entitled, What Do You Want?, by a guy named Dr. Alex Lickerman. He's the author of Happiness in This World. Well, this is what he says, quote, Pausing to ask yourself just what exactly you want, not what you think you should want or what others want you to want or want for you. Without judgment can often be a surprisingly emotional exercise but it's an exercise by which I think we'd all be well-served. It can be quite the mental workout to go through the process of determining what you really want. Layer upon layer of surface wants must be removed, and ramifications of your actions must be considered before what you really want can be exposed. One must be entirely honest with themselves, The kind of brutal honesty that may not even be possible outside of your own head for fear of others judging you. Honesty that brings forth desires, thoughts, or beliefs in your head that your unconscious mind normally covers up by crafting lies to tell yourself. Lies designed to cover up and justify your real thoughts. Lies to make you comfortable with the status quo that you've surrounded yourself with. Do you or I really want to base our lives on seeking and accepting the authentic, brutal, naked truth? One unacceptable response to this question is, well, whose truth is authentic? We've dealt with that. (laughs) It's given that God's truth is the authentic truth that represents things the way that they really are. That's the truth we're talking about. Do you really want to follow that truth no matter where that truth takes you? Do you really want to take the red pill like Neo did in The Matrix and see things the way they really are? What if following the authentic truth costs you your friends and your family relationships? What if you discover that your pastor is not committed to the authentic truth and you're asked to leave your church because of what you believe? What if you are a pastor and you discover you've been teaching something that's terribly wrong for years? What if you discover that you've been acting as a priest of a false Christian God? Are you so committed to following the truth that you would tell those who've been depending on you that you've been wrong? What if you ask yourself, what do I really want? And what if you discover what you really want? Following the authentic truth results in painfully tearing down the religious paradigms that people find so artificially comforting. What if you're a pastor and following the truth means going against traditional orthodox beliefs and you're subsequently asked to leave your church and lose your job as pastor? Is that something you're willing to do to follow the authentic truth? There's no question how important it is to follow the truth. One's eternal status depends on it. There's one thing to be in ignorance, there's another thing to be enlightened or receive the truth from the Holy Spirit, and then to ignore it just to go along with the status quo. Well, there is no other answer for the authentic child of God than to say what they really want is to follow the authentic truth Jesus is the authentic truth. Jesus didn't come to bring the kind of peace and unity that comes from partaking in convenient and comfortable lies, or lies designed to make us feel good about ourselves. He said he came to bring division, (laughs) the kind of division that results from following the truth when others refuse to. Listen to what he said in Luke Chapter 20, no, chapter 12, excuse me, verses 51 to 53. Do you suppose that I came to give peace on the earth? I tell you, not at all, but rather division. For from now on, five in one house will be divided, three against two, and two against three. Father will be divided against son and son against father, mother against daughter and daughter against mother, mother mother-in-law against her daughter-in-law and daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. That's a house divided. If after weighing the costs of seeking, adopting, and complying with the authentic truth, you decide the the costs are just too great, then I am deeply sorry. But chances are to continue to live with yourself and your decision, your subconscious mind will come up with a lie to tell yourself in order to justify your actions. Maybe it'll sound something like, God knows I have good intentions. I'm only thinking of others, and He's a God of grace. I'll be okay. This lie is, of course, what's referred to as self-righteousness. If declaring yourself to be righteous apart from God is what you really want rather than following Jesus, I pray that you change your mind one day, but you're going out on your own in getting through the narrow gate. I beg you, I plead with you to reconsider. I I want you to enjoy eternity. I don't know many of you who are listening. I'd like to get to know you and meet you one day. I want us to see each other there. The action plan for the authentic child of God, who's been made aware of the issues raised in this podcast series, is to become committed or recommitted to seeking the authentic truth found in the Bible. Remember truth equals Jesus. Following the truth equals following Jesus. Jesus is the narrow gate and the only way to get to the other side. To know if something's false, you got to know the truth. Knowing the truth, if you react appropriately to it, will set you free. Free from the law, which declares everyone to be guilty of sin. Free to follow Jesus and take on His burden and His yoke, instead of the heavy burden being caused by buying into deception this is from John chapter 8 verses 31 to 32 then Jesus said to those Jews who believed him if you abide in my word you are my disciples indeed and you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free so much is writing on the truth Jesus says that the Word of God is truth and that it's this truth which sanctifies his followers Being sanctified means to be made holy or set apart. The authentic children of God are set apart from the world through God's Word. Saying you're committed to the truth is only an intellectual commitment. Discovering truth in the Bible is a lot of work. It only begins with reading. It continues with overcoming your prejudices and 21st century Western world worldview. Maybe the toughest to overcome is when we're in the middle of a 21st century set of traditions and church culture that are based on, you know, literally now thousands of years, at least hundreds in the teens of years, that are based on one layer of traditions placed on top of another layer of traditions and then watered down and then reinvigorated and strange ways, ways that lead to teachings, you know, doctrines that have been in the church forever that are not based on the Bible. They're unbiblical or anti-biblical. But finally, this commitment to the truth means, uh, and finding it in the Bible, means to apply a sound set of authentic truth hacks that will result in conveying to you the original intended meaning of the ultimate author of Scripture, who is God. The final goal of having knowledge and understanding of Scripture is to lead us into authentic belief in Jesus. To have an authentic belief in Jesus is to know God. A.W. Tozer wrote a book called The Knowledge of the Holy, it's a biblical study of the characteristics of God. It serves as a worshipful reminder of how much bigger the real God is than our imaginations could ever conjure up. It's a really worthy read if you ever have time. There's many other books that are written on literary truth hacks, you know, hermeneutics. My recommendation for starters is The Language of God by Ron Julian, Jack Crabtree, and David Crabtree. It's written in layperson language and not only gives practical advice on how to obtain the authentic truth from Scripture using common sense approach, but how to apply Scripture to your life by seeking to adopt God's worldview instead of our own worldview. The book is more about the spirit in which we should approach and apply Scripture rather than, you know, like a list of rules to process Scripture with, which would be more along the lines of what I would tend to give you. But um, anyway, that's a worthy read also. Pursuing knowledge and understanding of Scripture is a lifelong process. It's something that gets better as you continue to do it. Surprisingly, seeking after the truth, (laughs) it never gets old. In fact, it gets more exciting as these different dots of truth in your mind start to become connected. If you can find a fellowship that you can trust to thoughtfully teach its way through Scripture, it can be very helpful. And it might be a fellowship which consists of you and another guy. (laughs) Or it might be like what I did this morning. I met with, uh, I don't know, six or seven guys online. Uh, We have a, a weekly Bible study that we do virtually ever since COVID hit. You might find it in a Bible study group or might be over coffee with somebody, but remember, wherever two or more authentic children of God are gathered together in the name of Jesus, there he is also. You constitute a gathering of Jesus's ecclesia, a gathering of his called out. So since I brought this up, Uh, You know, you get asked this all the time when you're a Christian, you discover somebody else is a Christian. It's like the quintessential question. Oh, where do you go to church? Well, where do I personally go to church? Almost every day, I start off with church as my precious wife, Angela, and I talk about what we have both discovered in Scripture the day before. Like often we'll have a second service <laughs> when we'd go on a walk or sit down for coffee. Then sometimes during the week I attend church in Starbucks with another person, or I currently go to church, like I just mentioned, on Thursday mornings. That's what today is, with a lo- local group of guys. It used to be at a at a uh, cafe, and now it's online. When we met in a cafe. You might say that a part of our service involved ordering breakfast. You know, the the apostles could have easily done that, and it would have become a big tradition. And so we would have had breakfast in church every day because people would think, "Well, oh, that's the way you do church." I used to record those uh, meetings when they were in person, and I would send them to a couple of different people so that they could also be a part of our church service and most sunday afternoons and evenings i would go to church in a home bible study group that we would have then sometimes like you know a couple of weeks ago i even go to a church in a big building with a cross on the door <laughs> that's how i grew up i'm a, a very churched person i spent 50 years of my life going to you know classic churches I grew up in a uh, in a Mennonite brother church, and when i my wife and I got married, we started going around and experimenting with different types of churches. Uh, they tended to be mm, towards the Pentecostal end of things for a while, and then small community churches, very grace based. and we went to a couple big mega type churches. Uh, the most recent one was associated with the Baptist denomination. It was like had six hundred people in attendance at it on a regular basis basis as a caution and and my point there is that um i go to church (laughs) whenever i meet with another authentic christian that is going to church and that's that's the biblical model when jesus is the focus of your time together and you're with other authentic believers that is as organic as a church gathering can be which you can read all about my opinions about church in the new book that I'm writing or have written and is now being edited. So as a caution, many traditional churches today say that their approach to the Sunday morning message is to preach their way through the Bible. However, that doesn't mean that they're going to stay true to the meaning of the passage that they present on Sunday morning. Sometimes, depending on the agenda of the pastor, his explanation of Scripture will only reflect what's on his mind, or like his the focus of his ministry. Because pastors have been trained in this way, it's always the priority to pull some kind of a nugget out of the passage, like a key principle to live your life by. They've got to send you home with this nugget, you know, so... Whatever passage you're in, they're gonna pull something significant out of it that they can, that you can apply to your life. I mean, even a genealogy, <laughs> they'll pull something out of a genealogy in, uh, you know, numbers or uh, the beginning of one of the gospels. <clears throat> they want to give you something to think about for the rest of your le- your week. Even where there are n- nuggets that don't exist, they will pull one out. If a pastor has a, a even a spiritual, well-intended agenda like evangelism, one church that I've attended, it does not matter where you are in Scripture. Every Scripture passage has to do with the basic core gospel and our need, our commission to spread that gospel. It doesn't matter where you're at. My point here is... Please do not depend upon a pastor on Sunday mornings to engage in a sound biblical exegesis of the scripture passages that you're in and and to impart to you the real intended meaning of the capital A author of that passage, God. They may be, in fact, just trying to get you to go out and witness to people, you know, if that's their... That's their thing that they're called to. There's all sorts of things that they may be trying. They just might be trying to encourage you for the week. They want you to feel positive. So maybe you'll come back next week, or maybe you'll put more money in the offering, or whatever reason. They legitimately want you to just feel good about yourself and about life. You know, nothing wrong with that. But if that's your agenda, rather than just figuring out what a passage of Scripture means, you're going to be off track. And understanding the raw Scripture, Getting the truth out of it has got to be our priority. Anyway, as you discover the intended meaning of Scripture, chances are things will not line up with some of the traditional teachings that you've come to believe. If God has chose you or made you to be a truth seeker, if that's a priority in your life, you're going to want to search for other truth seekers whose opinions that you trust and bounce off what you're finding on them. Listening to your own explanation of Scripture is great practice for teaching. Forcing yourself to verbally articulate your beliefs can help point out flaws in your own reasoning. There's no rush in any of this. Do an internet search on what you've found. You'll be surprised how often others have come to the same conclusions as you, and they've already written a multi-point paper on why they do. There are far more than only bloggers' opinions available online. Many works of famous theologians can be found on the web also. You might be surprised that you're coming to the same conclusions like Martin Luther or Spurgeon or Tozer did. Those guys. When you're conducting your search for the truth, you're going to want to bulletproof it. When you do your Google search on these different topics... Don't always read arguments that support your new position. Especially seek out those that are against it. Truth will hold up to any argument. You know, I run into Christians all the time. They don't want to hear any opposing things, they've been trained to think, well, that's just the devil. Man, how are you ever going to. No, if you're believing the right things, if you've just been told what to believe and you never look outside of that, you never challenge your beliefs. Even from somebody who says, you know, they are another Christian teacher and you just won't hear it. The truth will always win out in the end. Yeah, we hit our little distractions and diversions and bumps in the road. Sometimes we go down the wrong trail and then we take our compass out, our Bible, and we look and say, oh gosh, we're getting off track. But the truth in the end, Jesus is the truth, will hold up to any argument. Chances are you're going to end up expanding your study to other passages of Scripture to look at counter-arguments. You're going to need to determine if what others are using for their arguments are being used correctly or not. Consider all the best arguments against your potential new belief that you're adopting uh, in, from Scripture. Remember, biblical beliefs are based on evidence and proof not on dreams not on good ideas and not on wishes if you come to a point where you're convinced that something you previously believed in is incorrect of course based on scripture it's good to approach your adoption of your new belief very humbly recognize that if you think you're right now that you've been wrong <laughs> on the same issue before being committed to the truth means you're willing to admit you have been wrong and that you may need to again refine your position later as you continue to study personally i like to think about things a while and continue to kick them around in my head before i put them into action you know if it's something new that i believe uh, especially when it comes to i'm going to teach about them or repeat repeat what i'm thinking to others I really want to bulletproof that, and I want to think about it. You know, an example of this kind of thing and changes is when Angela and I first got married, I was putting a lot of time into studying uh, the second coming and eschatology, biblical prophecy, and those kind of things. And I read a lot of books you know, by a guy that was named Dave Hunt then, and there was Hal Lindsey, and... Uh, Some other guys who were classic dispensational teachers about the second coming of Jesus with a pre-tribulational rapture and all those kind of things. Very classic evangelical beliefs about the return of Jesus. And I thought I knew my stuff really well, right? (laughs) Because I'd put so much time into it. Then Angela tells me about this book that uh, my mother-in-law read, Jan read, And that she thought that I really need to read it. And of course, I'm thinking, yeah, I know this stuff really well. There's really nothing anybody can tell me about it. Um, But, uh, you know, I I ended up challenging my beliefs and I read it anyway. And the book is called The Sign by the late uh, Robert Van Kampen. And I got to say that I went kicking and screaming (laughs) about this new position Uh, that he was representing, which didn't fit into any of the real classic uh, positions on the return of Jesus and when the rapture would occur and that kind of thing. But that kicked around in my head for a while, and so I took that book and I went and I started studying the scriptures for myself because he was really big on um, following sound rules of hermeneutics, and I learned a lot about how to study scripture just in that guy's book, Robert Van Kampen's book. And lo and behold, little by little, over a period of several months, I came to believe something completely different about uh, eschatology and the Lord's second coming, that kind of thing. It's the basis of what I still believe today. I I continue to refine my points on that. But uh, I'm so glad that I didn't just get stuck in what the classic church teaching on that was. Because I look at that now and I think, holy cow, I was so far off on that. Then uh, another time in our life, we started going to this uh, church to where they uh, started te- uh, teaching from the Bible in the Greek and really looking analytically at it. Kind of short on, you know, emotional experiences, but long on teaching you how to study your way through Scripture. And I have to say that uh, one or two of the teachers at that church, uh, in particular challenged me to the point of I went home many Sundays almost angry that they were challenging what I had grew up in in the conventional church thinking of as truth. And I was going to prove them wrong and ended up, you know, eventually coming around to a different way of thinking about some things. Uh, Very healthy to challenge your beliefs if you're committed to the truth. And might I say, if your search for the truth is based on scripture on the holy bible when the day arrives that i come into a greater knowledge of the truth and the holy spirit has provided conviction that a previously held belief was in error i want to discontinue support of that belief if that belief was causing me to take some religious action like tithing for example the logical appropriate action would be to stop I may find myself now giving for the right reasons, but to follow the truth, I need to leave anti-biblical actions behind when they come to my attention. If I can't solve the big problem of what's going on in the name of the church today, at the very least, I can stop being a part of that problem. It might take you years to deal with the misbeliefs in your life, Depending on how long you've spent around traditional Christianity and how many things you need to unlearn. I'm convinced (laughs) that I'm probably going to die while I'm still trying to untangle that knot. Then eventually you might find that you've got to correct an already corrected belief. Well, that's okay. (laughs) Understanding how imperfect we are helps us to understand how humble that we need to be. The important thing is from this day forward to guard against false teaching. Don't take on board any more stuff that you're gonna have to correct later on. It's not listening to false teaching that's the real problem. It's accepting false teaching. One's first line of defense, as stated many times now, is knowing the truth as contained in the Bible. As you continue to learn throughout your life, whenever something is not consistent With what you know to be true, alarm bells should be going off, because Scripture, properly understood, will always agree with itself. So, either one has been wrong in what you've thought to be true, or what someone is now trying to tell you is incorrect. Another important defense against false teaching is to avoid listening to people who are known to be false prophets, teachers, or preachers. Unfortunately, unless a fellow truth seeker has warned you about somebody, building trust takes time. In two separate churches, it took me about three years, attending each one of them, to finally decide I could not trust what was being taught, and I finally had to leave. I think I knew much sooner than that, but I was in denial than just trying to make it work. As I already stated, it's not listening to false teaching that's ultimately a bad thing. It's accepting it. Man, if you get on to a good teacher anointed by God to teach, that is his part in the ecclesia, his part in the body of Christ. It is so edifying to listen to sound teaching grounded in truth that contributes to one's spiritual growth. Even the teaching of those you completely trust needs to be listened to critically. Man, I hope you're listening to me critically. You need to not merely accept something because of the teacher's reputation or because everything sounded good so far. Teachers should inspire you to be like the Bereans to search the scriptures for yourself and check out what they or I am saying. If the teacher has done their job They'll already have provided the basis of their claims during the teaching, as well as the counter arguments and not simply made unsubstantiated statements. Whether they do or not, if they're teaching something you are not already familiar with, it's got to be checked out before it should be absorbed into your mind. Whatever we do in response to discovering the authentic truth in Scripture must be done in wisdom and in love even when it comes to destroying false gods. The priority where love is concerned is to love the truth first, not failing to act on or respond to truth. Equally important is to, quote, is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, unquote. That's from Mark 12, 30. The final priority of love is to show love to those close to you, and whom God puts in your path, your neighbor, the same as you show love to yourself. You can read about that in Mark 12:31. Jesus mentioned this principle more than once. Listen to this from Matthew 7, 12. Therefore, whatever you want men to do to you, do also to them. For this is the law and the prophets. Showing love to others, like I show to myself, can be a confusing and misunderstood topic. One must be in touch with what they would expect others to do for them. Secondly, they need to understand how one shows love to oneself. Some confuse the golden rule that I just read you with the newer, more empathetic, very postmodern, progressive-like platinum rule. That says this, Do unto others as they would have you do unto them not as you would have them do unto you. (laughs) In other words, try and get in touch with their universe and emphasize with them based on their worldview before you act. You know, we need to act according to their truth. However, that is not the standard that God has set out for His children. We are to treat others as we want to be treated. Well, although... There is only one truth. How I want to be treated may be very different than what someone else would want. You know, how they would want to be treated. I don't want to be told what to believe. I want to be heard. But I want someone to teach me the truth regardless of my current beliefs. I don't want people to lead me down a path of convenient lies. I don't want someone to support a paradigm based on lies for my sake. I want to see things as they are but that's just me i want to be treated with dignity and respect that all who are created in god's image deserve but i don't want someone to reward my bad behavior i want to be called on it when i worked in the criminal justice system and a part of my job was to engage in acts of physical violence i used this same principle You know, you got to think about you're going to be hurting someone, potentially causing damage to someone, nothing to be taken lightly. So let's say somebody were uh, defying a lawful order and they were becoming violent towards me. Well, if I were acting like this guy who's doing this, who's trying to hurt me and defy a lawful order to stop what they're doing, I would expect to be pepper sprayed or tasered or taken down to the ground forcefully. That is me treating someone like I would expect to be treated. I want to know that others care about me, and I don't want to be left alone or forgotten, but I don't want to be an inconvenience to others or be any burden on them either. Although I would gladly accept charity on behalf of others in my family if I had a great need, I would be so embarrassed to have anyone other than very few people in my life help to address my physical needs, let alone someone living halfway around the world who I wouldn't consider realistically as my neighbor. I I know that people are trying to make the case today that you know, the internet and television and all of that kind of stuff is making the world smaller. And so, like, everyone is our neighbor. I just can't believe that that is the burden that God has placed on his people. That every, you know, all 7 billion people on the planet are my neighbor. No way. So, based on scripture, all of these things are just some of the principles about how I am to love my real neighbors, according to Because there are ways that I personally want to be treated. Like I say, that's going to differ for everybody. So what does the golden rule have to do with responding to the truth in love? Well, let's say I've been attending a church partially because I want to communicate to my kids and my grandkids that God is important to me. One of the ways that I might communicate this is to attend church regularly, despite other Sunday morning options available. Let's say my kids and their families have also been attending the same church. Well, over the course of time, through careful listening during Sunday morning and examining what the pastor is saying and supporting considering scripture, I come to believe that the pastor is teaching something that's not only unbiblical, but anti-biblical. On a number of occasions, The the, In this hypothetical situation, the pastor has also communicated that he is not open to change or to listening. They have constructed kind of a closed loop. He has a large say in the selection of the elders, hires the staff, only listens to elders and staff's opinions about his teaching, and then asks them to leave if they don't agree with him. It may seem obvious, but what am I to do then? There are people that I love in this hypothetical church, in addition to my family. It's clear, just as I could not attend the temple of Zeus, I cannot support the worship of the false god that this pastor has constructed either. My mere presence there, rather than being something positive, it communicates that I support this false god. Open refutation of the false god would not be welcomed Or tolerated. The pastor doesn't want to hear what I have to say. It's a threat to the paradigm that he's tied his pride and his livelihood to. That means I gotta leave. But how should I do so in love? I gotta say I haven't always got that part right. It's not something you want to get good at. (laughs) I'm not sure that there's a standard right way that's going to work for everyone in every situation. It would be easy to just stop going to such a church, maybe come up with a series of excuses, and then finally, one day, no one expects to see a church anymore. However, the loving thing to do for my kids and grandkids is to explain that it's because God is important to me that I've got to leave that church. While I explain about the real church, or what I call the ecclesia, not what I call it, but what the Bible calls the ecclesia, the called out And that it's not that, the true body of Christ, the ecclesia, that I'm leaving. I'm going to explain what I've come to believe is wrong about the teaching that I've been sitting under. And how it doesn't match up to scripture. And why I can't have any part in it. I'll make sure that they know that I'm always available to discuss the issues as long and as often as they want. I would do the same thing for someone who I was leaving behind at the church. For those I know personally, love tells me that I shouldn't leave them to their false beliefs without sharing what I've found to the, the truth to be. That's if they're willing to listen. Whether or not they're willing to listen is completely up to them. The important thing is for them to know that I'm always willing to talk about the authentic truth with them. I would attempt to do all of this while trying to preserve the character and intentions of the pastor. He may or may not be a brother in Jesus. Even at worst, if this person becomes my enemy, trying to shame me and my reputation, he's still one my master expects me to show love towards. Even if I'm shunned or excommunicated or simply snubbed, I'd wanna make clear that I'm always open to reconciliation and dialogue regarding doctrinal differences. So what if I'm a pastor? It's tough being a pastor or a teacher. There are many reasons for this. There's a high level of accountability. Pastors are magnets that because of what they preach, attract the detailed scrutiny of others. Not only regarding what they teach, but judgment if they are practicing what they preach or not. The Apostle James tells us in chapter 3, verses 1 to 2, My brethren, let not many of you become teachers, knowing that we shall receive a stricter judgment. If anyone may be tempted to succumb to the powers of c- cognitive dissonance, it's probably going to be a pastor who's discovered what he or she has taught for years To many people, some of whom died believing Him, could not have been more wrong. It may be that what the pastors learned in seminary was wrong. It may be what they have discovered to be true is against the teaching of his or her denomination. If they are to confess to their congregation that they have been wrong and teach something completely different, they risk losing their credibility, reputation, and their jobs in some cases. They may be defrocked and expelled from their denomination. This is the stuff the Reformation of the 16th century was made of. What's at risk to not act on authentic truth? First, depending on what the truth is regarding, if it pertains to the character or nature of God, propagating a lie about him contributes to not worshiping him in spirit and truth. It's to promote worshiping a false god. Failure to repent and replace what they know to be a lie with the truth puts the pastor in the same position as a Hindu or Muslim religious leader. What an incredibly unloving thing it would be to continue with the lie to save one's own reputation while deceiving others about God. I pray that never happens, but I know it happens all the time. False teaching that does not contribute to creating a false god also must be repented of. Let's say, for example, that a pastor comes to find they've been communicating misinformation regarding the rapture of the church for decades, and they decide to keep it to themselves. They previously had, you know, good faith in what they believed. Well, they're turning what was a good faith lack of understanding of scripture into a sin. They're knowingly continuing to support a lie in favor of their personal comfort. I could easily continue to trust and respect someone who had changed his mind because of their spiritual maturity and they continued to study. In fact, it would only increase my respect and trust in them. However, it might take me a long time to against trust someone who's become aware they were wrong about something and continue to teach it anyway. As I said, It's tough being a pastor or a Bible teacher for that matter. This is where others may have inserted a step called allow yourself to be used by God. (laughs) From our human perspective, we do think that we have a choice in how we serve God in what we allow him to do with us. That's okay because we're human and that's how humans think. I may think that I have a choice to allow God, you know, from my perspective, I have a choice to allow God or not allow Him to use me. As an authentic child of God, naturally, I'll make the choice to allow Him to use me. How great it is to understand that the God we serve has all of that under control. For my part, I voluntarily want to serve Him. For God's part, He already knew that I'd want to do so. (laughs) For my part, I will make thousands of decisions today. And for for his part, from his perspective, he knew how I would decide every one of them and the outcomes of those decisions. In his grand plan, he already approved those things and written them into his story. Or back when, when he was formulating his plan, he changed them for his purposes and I'm, I'm never gonna know any differently. From my finite human perspective, all I need to do is play out my part, according who God made me to be. Naturally, I wanna play my part out for all it's worth, so I'm gonna stay alert and awake to what it is I think that God wants me to do, and then I'm gonna do it. That primarily will consist of knowing him, but I know he'll wanna use me in other ways, Sometimes in ways that I'll be aware of, and I've made conscious decisions to participate in, but most of the time, he's going to use me in ways I'm not even aware of. Well, Once I know the truth, I no longer want to spread or support a lie. In fact, a truth seeker should be a truth supporter and a truth spreader. Finding and supporting a network of people who are seeking to know and understand Jesus better and follow Him wherever He goes is a good and worthy effort. Maybe God has bestowed you with the ability to teach. Perhaps your teaching may only come in the form of giving truth-based answers when you're asked questions. Whatever the opportunity, I have to share what's in the Bible. and I want to make sure it's based on sound biblical interpretation rather than traditional counterfeit malarkey I personally believe that what's commonly viewed as the church by most people is one of the largest and toughest mission fields in the world today I'm not referring to Jesus's true invisible church the ecclesia, the body of Christ made up of living stones who are the authentic children of God I'm talking about the traditional human religious institutions, which still bear the name of Jesus. The ones where it's not clear which Jesus they're serving. Like I've said before, if there's any problem within the true ecclesia of Jesus, it's his problem to fix. I actually think that his ecclesia, the plan for it and how it's going is going exactly according to plan. He, after all, the Son of God, is the head of the true Ecclesia. Regarding the false counterfeit church, for my part, I need to make sure I'm doing the work of God. There's something that I can do beyond that. As a part of appropriately reacting to the truth, I can use the influence God has given me with others to encourage them to also seek the truth. To be clear, this isn't something that I believe I need to get up in the mornings and make plans to do. I don't need to be purposeful about this. It's not something that I'm going to organize a committee to accomplish. My part is to do the work of God, which is to believe in the one He sent, Jesus. However. It may be a part of God's plan today that somebody's heart's going to be changed and he's going to use you or me as his tool to change that heart. Well, what an incredible privilege. It's a privilege that he not only has led you or I into truth, but that he would reach into his toolbox given all the options available to him and pull you out to use you to lead others into truth also. God has given everyone influence over somebody else, kids, friends, coworkers. An inmate may influence a guard. A customer might influence a cashier. A constituent might influence a politician. A worker, his or her boss. The media certainly influences many people, but maybe you're a pastor. What a great position to be in if you are an authentic child of God who is a truth seeker. What a great combination. Maybe you're not a pastor, but a trusted friend of a pastor that can use your influence with him or her. Whoever you are, you can lovingly use your influence to invite others to seek the truth along with you. Maybe God has created you to be somebody with an inherent desire to spread his good news. You know, you are an evangelist. Then spread the good news with all your heart, but spread the authentic biblically true good news and spread all of it, not just the part about being saved from sin. Well, there have been several issues that I've raised in this series regarding the state of what's thought of as the church today and how that state has contributed to the creation and tolerance of many false gods. Here's kind of a summary of some of those points that I've raised in this series. Postmodern progressivism and self-centeredness has given rise to me-centered teachings in the church. Next, me-centered teachings have brought about the abandonment of absolute truth. The inductive Bible study approach to studying Scripture makes possible the many me-centered false teachings that we see today. Abandoning absolute truth has allowed the meaning of the most basic words to change, like faith, belief, and hope, just to name a few. The me-centered approach to the Bible has led to many different, now traditional, yet false teachings that allow one to achieve righteousness on their own. And finally, false teachings have caused people to have their own wrong image of God in their minds. This results in relying on, praying to, and worshiping false images of God. We understand there's a difference between what's thought of as the traditional Christian church and the true ecclesia of Jesus, and that His ecclesia is alive and well. Further, it's understood that anyone can call themselves a Christian. But that doesn't make them an authentic child of God who is considered a living stone or called out one, Jesus' ecclesia, who make up the true church of the authentic Jesus. Once one becomes aware of this information, what is it there to do? For the authentic child of God, they are to do the work of God, believe in the one He sent. That's to know, understand, and follow Jesus. Broken down a little bit more, it's to be biblically watchful. Remember, that's engage in a lifelong study of the Bible and in the pursuit of knowing God. It's to keep watch of what's going on around you in light of Scripture and to apply that Scripture to what's going on around you and react appropriately as you continue to abide in Jesus as we await His return. Broken down even further A biblically watchful action plan to avoid the worship or tolerance of false Christian gods might sound something like this. Staying aware that you're surrounded by deception every day, all the time. Deciding what you truly want, to follow the authentic Jesus in authentic truth or not. If you choose Jesus, recommit yourself and commit to following the authentic truth, no matter where it takes you. Become knowledgeable of Scripture, striving to understand the author's meaning through using sound methods of interpretation. Examine your current beliefs, considered what you've found in Scripture. Repent of what you discover to be a misbelief. Guard against future deception. Reject false teaching. Take appropriate action based on the truth. like Destroy any false gods in your life and leave the places they're worshipped. Understand God will use you, even when you're not aware. Stop contributing to the problem by supporting misbeliefs which support false gods. Lastly, we should use our influence to invite others to join us in our pursuit of the truth. That's what I have for you for this episode. Thanks for bearing with me in my hoarseness and my gasping for air now and then. Next time, I'm going to pass on to you, it'll be a little bit different, uh, what I call a tale of two gods. It's an allegory, which is based on everything that we've been talking about in this series so far. Until then, may God richly bless you, may he keep you healthy, and maranatha. Thanks for joining me today. Until my next podcast, you can follow me on Facebook by going to the Doug Hooley Ministries page. I'm on Twitter at at Doug H. Ministries, and I'm on Instagram at Doug Hooley Ministries. Find out about what I'm working on and read some of my blogs at dughooley.com or email me at doug at com. That's doug at d-o-u-g-h-o-o-l-e-y dot com. I'd love to hear from you. This has been the Called Out Cafe. So long and God bless.